Welcome to the MI Market News Podcast. I'm Greg Quinn in Ottawa. With me today is Kevin Page, President of the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa. He was also Canada's first parliamentary budget officer from 2008 to 2013. And he's had a, a fairly substantial career in, in other parts of the federal government, working in departments like finance, the Treasury Board, and the Privy Council Office. Uh, Kevin, welcome. Good to be with you, Greg. Well, as as you've probably seen, uh, Finance Minister Christian Freeland has said the traditional fall budget update is coming in due course. Since the last full budget she presented in, in April, you know, interest rates have gone higher in Canada and, and globally. Economic growth has slowed. Unemployment has crept up a little bit. So how much room is there left in the government's cupboard to either boost spending or, or perhaps slim down the deficit? So I think all of that is true. I think in terms of how the outlook has unfolded over the past year or since, the, since budget 2023, I think yeah, significantly those interest rates particularly the long-term interest rates, they're, um, they're you know, probably a full percentage, the better part of a full percentage point higher in a 10-year government bond. I think growth, I think certainly since the budget 2023 forecast, which had a, actually a pretty pessimistic outlook for the economy, growth could actually, even though it's very slow right now, we didn't have any growth in the second quarter. I think on average, it, you know, the, the real GDP might even be a little bit higher than what was in the planning outlook. But I think it'll be... In terms of the deficit, I think we're probably looking at a deficit, you know, in the, in the $45 billion range, which would be about a percent and a half of GDP, which uh, probably could be a little bit higher than what we saw in, in 2022-23. So is there a lot of fiscal room in this outlook? I think I think the government does feel squeezed from the point of view of just political pressure. And I think, you know, the bond markets are providing some kind of pressure. So there is a squeeze, but I think on a relative basis, Canada's fiscal numbers, certainly those budgetary balances, you know, they're much better than other OECD economies. So, so it's it's a bit of there's some room there, but I think politically and and with respect to bond markets, there, there's some squeeze as well. You know, the the major political challenge for for government right now is the cost of living and and especially housing and worries about affordability and supply. The federal housing agency CMHC said it could take a trillion dollars of investments from governments and, and the private sector over the next decade to re, to restore affordability. Is the government willing and able to take any kind of a big swing at, at housing supply now? Probably not a big swing, but I think it's um, I think it's the time of World Series baseball. So I think a lot of base hits would be really helpful, get people runners on bases. So I think what we learned from CMHC and the work that they do, Greg, is that this is a long-term challenge with respect to uh, getting housing supply in a better place. We'll probably be talking about this unit, this housing issue or housing shortage supply, not only in the next election, but maybe in the next couple of elections. So we're, we're millions of units short in terms of where we need to be. And I think that's in part because of just the growth we've seen in population driven by higher immigration. But I think a series of small, you know, base hits is really what they're trying to do. And, and almost, you know, it seems like every week where, you know, somebody's sending me a proposal. I saw one this morning on um, on sort of a low rent, affordable housing type of a pr proposal to get more financing into the system. So I think we need a lot of smaller swings. Um, but I think, unfortunately, I think the market fundamentals, you know, the higher input costs for builders uh, uh, is 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 
having an impact on them as well. Just, and the higher mortgage rates are really suppressing demand temporarily. So, but this long-term structural problem, it's going to be here for a while. When it comes to inflation, there's been a lot of debate amongst uh, economists and, and in the House of Commons about whether government spending is contributing to the, the problem. You know, when, when I look at some recent fiscal monitor reports, it, it does show program spending is up maybe five or, or, or 10 percent. You know, we're also seeing that, you know, economic growth has moved around quite a bit. So it's it's maybe not as clear as it used to be what the, the trend rate of, of growth of the economy could would be to, to, you know, so it's harder to compare what the baseline might be for spending. Do you have a view on whether or not fiscal policy is in any ways at odds with inflation and, and perhaps with, you know, the what's going on with the Bank of Canada and monetary policy? Certainly monetary policy is um, very focused on getting... Uh, inflation and inflationary expectations back in that target zone of one to three percent, and so there's been, you know, been enormous monetary tightening. You know, we've seen the large increases in the policy rates. Uh, we've seen quantitative tightening with respect to you know just the you know, the flatlining of, of money supply growth. So, which is really having an impact on liquidity in the system. So, I think monetary policy is doing everything it can it can to get inflation and inflationary expectations down. And I think we've seen enormous progress on inflation. I think fiscal policy, I think when you look at just the size of the government, you know, governments, federal and provincial, again, at least federally, we're talking about a deficit in a one and a half percent of GDP. I think probably one percentage of that deficit is probably um, cyclical in nature. And because again, we're seeing growth, we had growth a little over 3% in 2022. We're seeing growth probably in, could be in the one or even a little bit less than 1% real GDP growth. 2023. So a lot of you, know, you expect weaker revenues and a little bit higher spending and you know, just that is cyclical in nature. So it's not surprising to have a modest deficit. There are very few economies that have a smaller, you know, structural balance than, than Canada. When you look at, you know, say the IMF fiscal monitor, which came out last week, Canada, you know, when you cyclically adjust these balances, we're, you know, again, we're probably talking about a deficit, not one and a half percent, but about a half a percentage point. So we're not quite, we could, there's probably some room to reduce that deficit. And so take a little bit of that, put a, take a little bit of that demand pressure out of, on inflation, but it's not that substantial. It's a much bigger problem, I think, in terms of fiscal imbalances in the UK and in, in, the, in the United States. I'm glad you mentioned the, the IMF. Uh, you, you, you've, you've gone over a lot of numbers, which, which put Canada in a, a very favorable light. And, and the minister often calls attention to those numbers. But they've also said uh, that Canada might benefit from like a, a clearer fiscal anchor. You know, right now it's a pledge to lower the share of debt to GDP. And, and some business groups have also said they're a little bit uncomfortable with that as, as the sole fiscal anchor. Do you think there is something else Canada could could do to further solidify its, its, uh, its uh, fiscal credentials? I, I, th I think the short answer is, is just yes. Uh, I think um, a declining debt to GDP ratio is probably a good medium term fiscal rule. I think, you know, in Canada, when we saw when, when our, the size of debt are, are, um, was a big problem in the, in the mid 1990s, early 2000s, you know, we had a government that would really just target budgetary balances and you know, build in reserves to make sure that we hit those targets. So the, the current government has really had no interest in targeting a budgetary balance from year to year. 
And I think there are a lot of concerns in by opposition parties uh, in the business community, financial market community, that this government really has just a significant propensity to spend. If, so if we get any positive upward surprises on the outlook, they will spend it. And, you know, and uh, as long as that, you know, over the medium term, the debt to GDP ratio uh, declines. So I think I just don't expect it, but yeah, I think in terms of overall confidence that you know the the, the liberal government could um, by putting in some type of spending rule, and it, you know that it because there's you know this implied spending restraint over the medium term, but it's just the government seems to not be able to deliver on that. That's why we see these upper adjustments and budgetary balances. So like some kind of you know an annual deficit budgetary balance target with reserves. You know, some kind of consideration on targeted spending, maybe the growth of, you know, sort of non-statutory discretionary spending. This would really add to those, you know, to the, you know, the fiscal restraint package, which is really non-existent by the government. And I think it would bolster confidence as well. Having said that, again, it's surprising, even with this weak fiscal rule, we've seen relatively good fiscal performance in Canada relative to other countries. I think as we've touched on already a little bit, Globally, borrowing costs have risen. There's some discussion amongst economists that neutral interest rates are going to be higher than they were, say, going back to the 2008 era. Um, um, does the government have to start thinking about making a bit of room in, it, in its fiscal projections to account for a shift in borrowing costs? Yeah, it's become quite noticeable. If you, if you just one stares at the numbers, like the statement of transactions for the government's 2021-22, public debt charges, net public debt charges are around $25 billion. 2023-24, it's sitting at $43 billion. Uh, if you look at, you know, the medium-term projection, it's going over to $50 billion in five years out, so somewhat slower trajectory. So, you know, we had slow interest rates coming out of COVID that, you know, obviously that, you know, this was going to be an issue. You can't really get it much lower, but all the just the add-ons to debt, which were, were enormous, so this is building, and yeah, it's very noticeable. In, it's noticeable in Canada. It's noticeable in other countries. Um, some of my former bosses, like Mr. David Dodge, has talked about this is a, you know another important guardrail for governments, like really to monitor you know the, the carrying costs of debt, you know these public debt interest charges, perhaps relative to revenues or relative to GDP. So they, yeah, it's something that they need to monitor. It's, it is going up. And the government talks about making major investments, whether it's in clean technology or for childcare, and you know these investments—they're significant. But when you just look at it, like literally a twenty-five billion dollar annual increase from twenty-one twenty-two to a projected number in twenty-eight twenty-nine or twenty-seven twenty-eight—that's like that's an enormous difference. And um, you know, if you look at what it would take Canada to go from from roughly one and a half, one or one point two, one point three percentage point of GDP in terms of defense our commitment uh, to NATO to get to 2% commitment to NATO rather, like it would, it would take a number like that. So yeah, this is a very different world coming out of COVID. There is a lot more debt and um, it, these sort of these budgetary balances, they're a little bit worse than people would have probably would have hoped for. Uh, but again, it's not just a Canada problem. It is a, it is a broader economy, problem facing advanced economies across the world. We ran very large uh, deficits to pull the economy through the, the COVID pandemic and the economy has at the very least, stabilized. You know, unemployment did touch record lows recently. Keynesian economists would argue that you run deficits in bad times, and then you have an obligation to kind of restore order in in good times. Um, is there a point in the foreseeable future where Canada should say balance the budget or do something else on that order to to rebuild its fiscal firepower? 
I would say, yeah, I think from my perspective, I have a certain bias with respect to being a former parliamentary budget officer to, I think we could easily be at a, a balanced budget over the medium term, you know, even with these sort of current projections. But I think I do also appreciate that, you know, because of COVID and you alluded to this, there was just enormous pressure put on governments to, to backstop the economy. Um, and I think as well, there's just a lot of pressure on governments in Canada and across the world to help with, say, issues like energy transition and, uh, you know, to get to these net zero targets. And I think there's different ways the government can do this. You know, there's you know measures on the revenue side or spending side. There's regulatory measures, carbon pricing measures. But I think these are this is going to it's just enormous pressure to help facilitate this adjustment. You know, in addition, like there's there's ongoing pressures to deal with with uh, income inclusion and to deal with, you know, these growing disparities that have really been a big problem for, for democracies in, you know, over the past number of decades. So there's just a lot of pressure on governments like, to spend, but uh, in this environment and, you know, we'll, it'll be an interesting campaign when we, we get ready in the next election about, you know, what people will put in the window. Um, but I think certainly for the liberal government, they're they're looking for additional tax capacity because so we don't want to become un, un fiscally sustainable, not fiscally sustainable, and you know we're getting closer and closer to that point in Canada, which would be a shame. It would be yeah, it would be great to get you know to have more fiscal restraint, you know to load up, prepare, you know build up these buffers. But at the same time, there's a lot of pressure on governments to help out. Well, the government has also said you know we're going to do a a, a review of of how we spend money and, and come up with several billion dollars a year. In recent years, there has also been talk of, you know, trying to increase compliance on the, on the tax side, and that could also raise billions of dollars. I wondered if you can give me a sense of, are those kinds of projects easy or difficult to pull off and actually free up billions of dollars while at the same time, you know, keeping the government running or keeping the, the tax system working well? Yeah, I don't like from my personal experience, you know, starting a Department of Finance in the early, you know, effectively 1980-ish. I don't think it's easy to, for governments to do this sort of work. I mean, it, but the environment is fundamentally different. We've, you know, we've seen governments, um, government spending really swell because of COVID and in, in, not just in terms of these large transfers, but just, you know, the size of the public service, the size, you know, the growth of, you know, professional service contracts. So, you know, there's been a, just a, a significant increase in the size of government. So some people would argue that, well, there's just must be, to use a metaphor, a lot of fat in the system. So we could do, you know, we should be able to clean this up pretty quickly. Like, But I think in terms of dealing with some of the pressures that were highlighted, say in that IMF fiscal monitor, the chapter on energy transition, if we need to invest significantly into public infrastructure in a very significant way, and we need to provide subsidies to encourage, you know, in, you know, firms to help them with adapt, to, for consumers to, to retrofit their homes, there's, yeah, there will be a lot of um, like spending pressure related to that. So these are tough times, I think, pivotal times for, for, for countries in terms of, you know, dealing with, um, like, these big transitions. And we're dealing with incredible uncertainty as well because of these geopolitical events, certainly the, you know, the war in, um, in Ukraine, but also um, you know, what we're seeing in the Middle East now and just to sort of rise in tension with, with China. It's, it's, it's not an easy environment to navigate for governments. Since we do have a, a fiscal update coming, I, I, I thought if, if I could give you a whiteboard or a blue sky, so to speak, are there one or two things you'd like to see the government do a little bit differently with with its with its next uh, fiscal plan. It would be great to strengthen the fiscal planning framework with you know with perhaps some additional um, 
controls, you know, on perhaps spending controls or annual budgetary balances or, or, or just, you know, a more of a fiscal strategy document, um, that would be super. I think, I think there's pressure on the government to talk about progress on finding those book savings on expenditure savings. So I think it'd be, it'd be useful to just take a little bit of a timeout in, in terms of a mid-year update just to report on here's where we're at in terms of uh, you know implementing those savings. This is where we're finding the savings. And if there are more opportunities in that nature to, because they're going to need fiscal room. Again, in elections, they tend to promise things. We're going to need more fiscal space. How are we going to find that space? So I think a, a mid-year update that is more of a strategy document um, would be would be very useful. I feel like sometimes in the last few years, we're going over a lot of uh, uh, somewhat sad material talking about the the, the pandemic and, and the geopolitical tensions uh, you, you, you've you mentioned, we've all seen them. So I, I do like to kind of ask <laughs> in closing, if there's a, po- a big positive trend or a nice surprise you see coming for us in, in the next year around all this. I think there is progress on energy transition, on climate. Um, I mean, I think the climate scientists would tell us it's, we're, we're not ha- it's not happening fast enough, but there's the wheels are definitely turning. Uh, in Canada and other parts of the world. And they're turning at the same time we're dealing with, you know, more and more disruptions that are climate related. You know, I think the way the West responded geopolitically to the war in Ukraine, that they, how they came together is, is I think, a, as well a positive. Um, but I think we still have to find better, you know, we, we can't shut down trade in this environment. There's been a lot of talk about anti-globalization uh, because, you know, just the fracturing. I think, you know, we need to have, Figure out ways that we can continue to trade and keep trade open, uh, and so that would much that would brighten the outlook and brighten prospects for growth in Canada and other countries. So there's a few positives out there as well. And again, even though we tend to get, you know, we worry about the size of the deficits in Canada, like our fiscal performance relative relative to other countries, it's actually it's been good, notwithstanding the fact that you know we probably need to put more constraints on this particular government, but. Yeah, there's definitely there's some positives out there and the economy's come back strong. You know, I think, you know, coming out of COVID, I think that surprised people. I think that's part of why we have dealing with this high inflation. Um, you know, the labor market, um, you know, if you were to if we were to kind of wind back, if we were having a conversation, say, February 2020, Greg, and we're saying, you know, where would you like to be in 2023? And if we were talking about an economy that did have a significant, you know, rebound, if we're talking about a labor market, that is, you know, where most of the numbers are in pretty good place, unemployment rate at five and a half percent, you know, employment rates pretty much back where they were prior to COVID. I think most finance ministers would say, well, that's, you know, given all this instability and uncertainty of a global pandemic where we didn't have a virus, you could tell me in two years we'll have deficits and a strong, you know, down, you know, you know, more trend levels and a labor market that's at a pretty good place. I think that's, so there's some, there's positives. I mean, we, sh- there's, we should have some gratitude for sure. Uh, that, that, that's a good point. And, and maybe, yes, it's true. Maybe if a future finance minister, if, if you, if you carved out the pandemic years and show them the stats from this year, maybe they would feel uh, it was a, a fairly uh, somewhat regular year. So that is a, a good, good, good way to think about it. All right. Uh, why don't we uh, wrap up this podcast? Uh, if you have feedback, you can reach me at greg.quinn at marketnews.com. Uh, if you like the show, tell a friend. Hope to be with you again soon. And thank you very much, Kevin, for being my guest. Great to be with you, Greg. I love your show.